learn tonight what God has given us to successfully defeat him because he's defeated now it only remains for us to defeat him with what God has given us to fight with so we're gonna look at dealing with the devil part two, the armor of God and let's pray together father we ask you to speak to our hearts tonight Lord. we're aware of an intense warfare in this country the air is just electrified with warfare and yet, Lord, you're looking for that remnant church. You're looking for that overcoming church that will walk in holiness and walk in purity and walk in your word and walk girt with the armor of God that we may successfully crash the walls down the enemy has erected to keep men lost and bound. We ask you to give us light tonight. Illuminate us. In Jesus' mighty name. You breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a hand of praise. This is going to be good tonight. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to remind you, you do have the notes out there. Also, I want to remind you that this Sunday we're going to be on our midnight series, and we're talking about the knock at midnight, the church's ministry in the midnight hour. The church's opportunity in the midnight hour. Don't miss this Sunday and bring somebody. Because we had folks here Sunday that brought their family and family members got saved. And they said, wow. And I said, if you bring them, they're liable to get saved. You just get them in the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is and they're liable to get saved. But now, let's look at this tonight. Last time we saw how Peter instructed the church to do what? Resist the devil standing firm in the faith. Now, I, I shared with you briefly that we are intellectual descendants, among other things, of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a, an intellectual movement in Europe that came over into the States and affected a lot of things, produced a lot of atheism, a lot of um, Darwinism, Marxism, and the Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason, had a message. Now here's a couple of bigger words, naturalism and empiricism. Now here's what they mean. Naturalism or empiricism said, said this, if I can't sense it with my five senses, if I can't put it in a test tube in a laboratory and, and see it in the lab, it's not real. And that's what the message of the Enlightenment was. It's the age of reason. It came against what had for centuries been understood to be the reality of the spiritual world. Now, America has been greatly impacted by enlightenment thinking. And you say, why does this matter? I feel like I'm in college. You are. You ought to be. Need to be. But this is Holy Ghost College. We need to understand what happened. Is that this message of, if I can't see it, touch it, uh, touch it taste it, smell it, feel it, it's not real. And so they began to poo-poo and, and disregard any notion of a spiritual world being real. But you know what? It came flat up against the testimony of the Word of God that says there is a dimension you can't see, taste, touch, smell, hear, unless it decides to reveal itself to you. And it's the spiritual dimension. We could call it the fourth dimension. It's the area where we have warfare. There are angels 
There are demons. There are seraphims, cherubims. There is a devil. There are spirit beings filling the universe. And that's the testimony of the Word of God. So you either got to come to the place where you say, I believe the Word of God, or I believe enlightenment thinking. That, if I can't sense it or test it in a laboratory, it's not real. The Bible says it is real. And so that's why Peter says, resist who? The devil. Well, you can't see him, taste him, touch him, smell him, hear him, but he's there. Now, resist means, the word resist means to be in obedience to. This is very important. Once we have fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we are ready to don the armor of God. What did James said? Or say, James said, submit therefore to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What a lot of folks don't understand is you can't live out of the will of God and successfully resist the devil. The first, the first thing we must do in spiritual warfare is be sure our hearts are clean before God. Remember those seven sons of Sceva? In the book of Acts, it tells us about them. They saw Paul and the other disciples casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They said, well, we'll try that. And they went out, and they said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon that was in the man rose up. The man grabbed these seven sons of Sceva's supernatural power, stripped them naked, beat them bloody, and sent them into the street, running for their life. One man with demons in him. What's the message there? If you don't know Jesus or you're not submitted to God, right now you're already defeated. So it's very important we understand, man, if I'm going to win this warfare, I've got to be sure with everything in me, I know I'm in the will of God in my life. And my heart is clean. Amen? Now, once we have fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we're ready to don the armor of God, spoken of in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Now, why do we need this armor? Listen carefully, because as Christians, we have been drafted into a war, whether you like it or not. You're drafted. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are drafted. We've been drafted into a war with a foe, who is powerful, tireless, and crafty. And since you are now covered in the blood, you're a target. As Paul wrote about the armor of God, he was chained to a Roman soldier. And no doubt his familiarity with Roman armor gave him the idea of using the imagery uh, of Christian armor. He was just looking at this guy he was chained to. He said, I'm just going to use this for a metaphor, for an illustration of how a Christian needs to be prepared to defeat the devil. Roman armor was designed to protect the soldier's body from the enemy's weapons. Christian armor is designed to protect your soul. Your soul. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Suke, the soul. That's what it is. Now, God does not hurl us unprotected into the battle against satan's empire he has provided everything we need to protect our mind heart soul spirit conscience and will all of those things come under attack paul writes that we must be protected from the wiles of the devil the word for wiles comes from a greek word here's the greek word methodia we get method from it methodia methodical and it means methodical schemes 
well-crafted trickery. Can I give you a little uh, revelation tonight? The devil's not out to give you a flat tire or make something go bump in the night so you'll get scared. No, the devil, listen, is a chess player. He'll work 20 years to bring you down. And he has well-crafted, methodical schemes, trickery. Satan is a chess player. He plans his wicked tricks over time, laying carefully constructed snares for you. He remembers what you were hung up in. He remembers how he had you before God got you. Now, I don't want to give too much credit to the devil, but I also don't want to dumb him down. I want you to understand your enemy. Your enemy is, is, is a fallen creature who was brilliant and is still. And I really do believe that he will look at uh, a person. He knows about that person, knows the weaknesses, and he'll target those weaknesses. He knows where you have succumbed in the past and where you're likely to succumb again if you're not in the armor of God. Without God, we'd never win against him, not ever. He's far beyond our intellectual ability to defeat him. So God commands us to put on the armor he's provided so we can stand against Satan's plots. Ephesians further reveals that our enemies are not people. Look at your spouse and say, praise God. <laughs> Just want to be sure y'all are out there. Um, your spouse is not your enemy. You know, your co-workers are not your enemy. Guess what? We must see beyond people. For our battle's not against flesh and blood. Isn't that what he said? Well, let God be true and every man a liar. Satan may use people, and he does, to persecute us, lie to us, betray us, cheat on us, or even kill us. Jesus looked down from the cross and said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You know what he was saying? They're influenced by the devil and don't even know it. But our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world. Moving people like pawns on a chessboard, the chessboard of time. I can tell you a lot of what happens between you and people that is negative and destructive. The enemy is right there lurking in the shadows, orchestrating it, uh, uh, blowing on the fire, trying to stoke it into a flame. We've got to understand at the root, at the root, there is an, an, a spiritual influence, and there we go. You're either in enlightenment thinking or in Bible thinking. Paul lists four distinct satanic orders we wrestle with that we uh, touched on last time. Let's name them again together, can we? Principalities, powers, the rulers of the, this world's darkness, and wicked spirits in high places. Well, what are those things? Clearly, these reveal a satanic hierarchy. It's a hierarchical structure in the spirit realm. It's how he, the devil has structured the creatures, the beings, the angels that fell with him. Let's pull in tighter on them. Principalities. What does that mean? It comes from the Greek word arche, like archangel or archenemy, arche, which literally means chief ruler or magistrate. Well, what's a principality? A principality of Satan are his high princes who rule over the nations of the earth in the spirit world. Pastor Jeff, is there really such a thing? Absolutely. The devil was the chief archangel that fell, 
but with him a third of the angels fell as well. He took them, he organized them. They are in a hierarchical structure according to Paul. One answers to another, that answers to another, that ultimately answers to him. And he will place over cities and over nations. If you've ever done missions work and you fly into a new nation, sometimes if you're really in the spirit, you know, you can feel the spiritual presence that is there as your plane lands. High princes who rule over the nations of the earth. Let me show you some, uh, some evidence here in the scriptures. Daniel mentioned the prince of the kingdom of Persia in his book, Daniel, and the prince of Grecia as examples of these mighty minions of Satan. Daniel writes that, he, see, Daniel was interceding for Israel, and he was, he was asking God for an answer, a revelation about Israel's future. And he was standing there, and suddenly a mighty angel appeared to him weeks into his fast. And the angels told him, from the first day you prayed, I was sent with the answer. But I encountered the prince of the kingdom of Persia who withstood me in the spiritual realm. And I have battled, yea, these three weeks. Finally, Michael came, the archangel, and helped me. And now I'm here with the answer. It took 21 days to break through. The answer was released the first day. See, some of you have not gotten an answer to prayer because it's being withstood. It's being contested. It's being fought against. And that's why you haven't gotten an answer yet. It doesn't mean God has said no. It could mean that it's a spiritual warfare going on. Daniel just didn't quit praying until finally the angel appeared. But he was hindered for three full weeks by these evil, wicked beings in the heavenly places. No doubt over the nations of our world today, Satan has placed demonic servants to carry out his plans and purposes. That's the testimony of the Word of God. And does this, is this really a surprise to any alert believer watching the news today? His evil organization, that is the devil's, is superb. His leadership is wickedly skillful. And his aides are nearly countless. Yet remember, they are defeated by the blood of the Lamb. They are defeated... Now, what about powers? Principalities and powers. What about powers? This refers to those who exercise authority that Satan has delegated to them. Powers. These powers likely control the forces of nature. Now, if you doubt that, hang on. I'm going to show you Scripture for everything we say here. But I think this is, I think this is very, very possible and probable when he talks about powers. Controlling the forces of nature. We read in the book of Job how satanic forces brought both fire from heaven, which was probably lightning, and, and um, burning up Job's sheep and servants, and a sudden storm that brought the roof of his house down on his children. It happened there in the book of Job in the very beginning. How, what did the devil use? He went into the presence of God and said, turn me loose and let me do what I want to do. We'll see if he still worships you. And what did he do? Two of the things he did, he utilized nature. See, people get hit by tornadoes and they get hit by these storms and they get angry at God and lift their fist at God, but sometimes, listen, it wasn't God. God doesn't destroy like that. 
Both times, Satan was clearly to blame. Powers. I've, I've wondered about that storm the disciples encountered where they were headed across the sea uh, with Jesus in the boat. Suddenly, it says, out of nowhere, a storm appeared. Out of nowhere. And began to toss that ship to and fro. The disciples feared for their life, and Jesus stood up and rebuked it. Would, re, would Jesus rebuke something he himself had started? So, let's go to the next one. The rulers of this world's darkness. This is a big one. These seem to be Satan's agents responsible for holding men in spiritual darkness. And boy, is that alive and well today. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-4. He said, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are what? They're perishing, and now look at the devil's activity in their life. He goes on. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded, what did he do? Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see, Paul goes on, to see the glorious light of the good news. Why can't they see it? They have been blinded. That's why when you go preach the gospel, you've got to pray before you preach the gospel and pray that as you are preaching that the Holy Ghost will rip that veil off, tear that veil down, rip it off of their heart so they can see How many of you can say, I once was lost, but now I'm blind. I was blind, but now. And why were you blind? The God of this world, Satan, had blinded your mind. It's a source of constant wonder to me, the weird and the wicked things people believe, say, and do. In the name of religion, people can be persuaded to believe that pain and death are not real, Scientology. They can be convinced to pray to dead people seances you never talking to a dead person in a seance dear you're talking to a demon listen to me you're not talking to a dead person or to bow down and worship a stone statue something made of wood or stone you bow down and worship that thing how can you do that your mind has been blinded false philosophy false religions paul said in colossians 2 8 Beware lest anybody spoil you, ruin you, take you captive through philosophy and vain deceit according to the traditions of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You can be deceived by philosophy that is not of God. Satan darkening your mind. Mind-expanding or addictive drugs. You think the devil's not behind that? Drugs is from a Greek word, pharmakia. Pharmakia means sorcery. When you involve yourself in drugs, you're opening the door to sorcery in your life. Don't tell me pot is okay with God because didn't he create it? Well, yeah, he created mud too. You going to go eat it? I mean, come on. Just because it's there doesn't mean you're supposed to consume it. Don't get me on the pot thing. That's another night. That's just suffice it to say, don't touch it. It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. Now watch. But all of these ways that men are deceived, these are powers that are spiritual. Okay? Now finally, wicked spirits in high places. The word for wickedness means depravity. This one's creepy. This final category is likely the depraved demon spirits Jesus so often encountered while ministering to people. Over and over again, what do you read about Jesus doing? Demons. 
cried out from people. And Jesus cast them out. What do we know about these, these demons? These spiritual, this spiritual wickedness in high places, no doubt is demon spirits. They are disembodied spirits, and they have a craving to possess the bodies of human beings. They do. That's a fact. Remember when Jesus cast out uh, the legion of demons from that poor man? What did they want? They, first of all, they said, don't send us to the abyss yet. We know where we're going, but don't send us there now. And if we can't be in a human, let us be in a pig. But we want to be in something. That's spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus taught that it was their nature. Once having left a body, if they can, they'll return and make it seven times worse than before. And there's the scripture verse for you to look up. See, when they're cast out, they, they want back. They go looking for a place to dwell. This is the nature of demon spirits. He said, well, Pastor, this is creeping me out. Let me give you some comfort. I don't believe that a, de- a Christian can be demon-possessed. A Christian can be oppressed, can come under attack. But once the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of you, and I go to the Word again, there's not one place in the Bible, not one verse that shows a Christian, a blood-bought child of God, being delivered of a demon. That ought to make you happy. See, the, the strong man, Jesus has come to live inside of you. The lesser man's got to go. He's got to go. But is warfare real? You better know warfare is real. Can you be oppressed? You can be terribly oppressed, but not owned. Not owned. In light of these formidable enemies, Christians are to clothe themselves in the full armor of God. And let's talk about the armor. Say, thank God there is a way to be protected. Amen. Now, the first piece of armor is protection for what we sow. And what is it? It's stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Remember, Paul said, he said at the beginning of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he said, look, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and schemes of the devil. So here's how we do it. First, stand therefore having your waist girded with truth. Now what was the belt of truth or the belt uh, in Roman soldiers' armor? The Roman soldier's belt or girdle held in place the armor that protected the lower parts of the body, the seat of vital organs, and the organs of life-creating force. This is very important. Watch this. Here's an armor principle. We need truth's protection at the source of our spiritual procreative power so that Satan cannot tamper with what we sow. Now I want you to think about that. Because everyone in this room is a sower. Every day, in many ways, we sow. We sow with what we say. We sow with how we live. We sow. When you get up in the morning, you start sowing. Things you say, it's either godly or ungodly, good or bad, positive or negative. Something God can bless, something he do, he's not really fleshly or spiritual. You sow, and the seeds go out. Now here's this whole idea of the belt of truth protecting the procreative power of a person. What is God saying? 
I want what you sow to be godly. And the only way that's going to happen is you've got to be sure the seed you sow is the truth of God. Oh, this is so important. Right now, I'm sowing life. You know why? Because I'm ministering the Word of God. But, but how many of you know you can, you can get in your car and get on that highway, and in 10 minutes flat, you can be sowing all kinds of fleshly negative things out of your tongue? How many of you know that's true? The devil gets you before you get to the parking lot, and out it comes. You know what you're doing? You're sowing. And everything you sow is a seed that goes into ground and it's going to come up. So the belt of truth, that which is born of flesh, is flesh. If what you say or do, the way you live, is flowing out of flesh, then it can't produce spirit. It's going to be flesh. And man, I'll tell you, where do you practice this the most? At home. Whatever you sow at home is what's going to be coming up at home. Amen? The Bible teaches that we are to speak the truth in love, doesn't it? Isn't that what it says? So the belt of truth has to do with God's truth assuring that your sowing life is godly. Look around you at all the spewing and spouting of endless words tainted with the seeds of hate, deceit, and rebellion. I can't even watch the news anymore. Those, those people have lost their minds. They have lost their minds. They are like third graders on a playground. Nah, 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 nah. Well, you did this. Well, you did that. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> name calling. Name calling like little children. I mean, they have made idiots of themselves, a lot of them. I look at it and I go, what are they doing? They're sowing death. They're sowing disunity. They're sowing destruction. There is no belt of truth to assure that what they sow in their life is of God. This is the very thing the belt of truth prevents. Now, the second piece of armor is protection for what we show. First one, protection for what we sow. This one, protection for what we show. He said, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what about that breastplate? The Roman soldier's breastplate protected his upper vital organs, particularly the lungs and the heart. Now watch this carefully. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Why is it so important? Because out of your heart flow all the issues of life. The heart is going to decide what you sow with your tongue. So not only do we need the belt of truth guarding over what we produce out of the sowing in our life, but we need for our heart to be guarded because out of the heart, all the issues of life, money, relationships, everything flows from the heart. What did Jesus say? He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from where? Come from the heart. And when they come out of your mouth and they're wrong, they're bad things, you're not sowing you're not sowing something godly, it defiles you. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These all come out of a heart that is not walking in truth. Satan tries to corrupt the hearts of believers. Let me tell you right now, 
you, you can't be demon-possessed, that is, owned by a demon as a believer, a believer, a child of God. But hear me carefully, you can be corrupted. You, friend, can be corrupted. In the same way that you can produce the fruit of the Spirit, you can produce the fruit of the flesh, and you can become corrupted. And the devil is out to corrupt believers. If he can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to do his best to corrupt you, and he does it by attacking through the, if the breastplate's not there, he attacks the heart. He wants you corrupted so that, so that you as a believer, out of your heart, you display ugly passions instead of the love of Christ. Righteousness must be the guardian of our hearts. You know why? Because people are watching. And that's why we call this protection from what you show. Because every day, people who know that you're a believer, they're watching you. And what do, what do they need to see? Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. A, a good life, a clean life, a godly life, a Christ-glorifying life. The breastplate protects the heart. The word righteousness that he uses here, breastplate of righteousness, is found 92 times in the New Testament, but 30 of those are in the book of Romans. Isn't that amazing? And the theme of Romans, if you want to know the one word that covers the whole book of Romans, it's righteousness. Paul spoke of righteousness revealed in Romans, righteousness required in Romans, righteousness received in Romans, and righteousness what? Reproduced in Romans. He said if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you walk in the Spirit, God will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Righteousness required, received, reproduced, revealed. It's all about righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is you're putting on the righteousness of Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that God does not ask us to achieve his level of righteousness because we could never, ever do it. So what's it all about? Instead, here's what God did. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our place that we might be made, say it with me, everyone, the righteousness of God in him. What did God do? He imputed righteousness his righteousness to you. That means when you got saved, God imputed, he said, righteous, fully, 100%, flawless, righteous. You. You say, well, I don't do righteous things all the time, Pastor Jeff. That's where the reproducing of righteousness comes in. Okay? Now, here's a, another armor principle. God has given us his righteous nature by regeneration. We all were declared righteous when we were saved, regenerated. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to reproduce Christ's righteousness in us and through us that, he, that we might show it, reflect him, display it to a lost world. Powerful stuff. The righteousness of Christ is glorious armor. For us to wear in a world filled with wickedness and corruption. So every morning, you get up and say, thank you, Lord. In your eyes, I'm totally righteous because you've got on rose-colored glasses. But also, thank you, the Holy Ghost is living inside of me. And I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to spend time with you. And then, full of the Spirit, I'm going out into the world. And as I walk out full of the Spirit, it's going to reproduce actual righteousness in my own life. The breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart. It'll protect your heart. 
the innermost springs of your being from corruption. The third piece of armor is protection for where we go, protection for what you sow, protection for what you show, and protection for where you go. Guess what? Wherever your heart is, your feet are going to follow. What did he say? Read it with me, everyone. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, there are some places where Christians must not go. Others may, but you cannot. Why would you walk into a den of demons when you're trying to walk with God? Some places you shouldn't go. Well, everybody else goes, so that's everybody else. That's not you. Others may, you cannot. Others may, you should not. There are some doors we must never open unless we're encased in the full armor of God and our feet are protected by the gospel of peace. Every place we go, we should be soldiers of the king, ambassadors for Christ. There are doors the Christian may walk through from which he might not return without a miracle. Listen carefully to me, church. I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm going to tell you the truth. You can't be possessed of a demon that is owned, but you can be corrupted. How you get corrupted? You run with the wrong people. They take you to the wrong places. You tag along because they're your friends. But there comes a time where you've got to make a choice between friend Jesus or friends on earth. Listen to me now. Say, people say, how did you start walking with God? Because you were in the drug culture when you got saved. Oh, I, listen, I didn't have to leave my friends. I just had to talk about Jesus. They left me real quick. They left me real quick. I mean, I looked around and they were gone. But you can't run with those old friends. You can't run with the people that are hitting the bars, going to places where you should not go, or you are opening the door, a door from which you might not return without a miracle. I've been in this thing too long. I've counseled Christians galore who ended up in drugs, got caught up in addictions. How did it happen? Their feet went, first of all, listen, 90% of victory over temptation is avoiding the scene of temptation. Okay? I mean, this is not news to most of you. Other doors will bring shame and regret. Still others may bring bondage the believer never anticipated because the devil never tells you what he's up to. You only find out in the end what he had in mind. He'll color it, paint it. He'll make it look great. He'll dress it in neon lights and signs. He'll convince you there's nothing wrong with it. He will coax you. He will seduce you. Remember, he's a master manipulator and a master deceiver. He's been at it for centuries. You haven't. He'll convince you it's not wrong. He'll convince you that you can handle it. Oh, I can handle it. I'm stronger than all these people I'm running with. I'll go with them, but I won't do it. If you go with them, you will end up doing it. Give yourself some time. You'll go there. You'll get there. That's why it says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? None. But Pastor Jeff, they're my friends. If your friends are not glorifying God and they're going places 
that shoot you down or tempt you, you need to call it a day. Just get away. For your own soul's sake. Watch out for your own soul. Let me tell you about these people, your friends. When everything comes to an end and the reaping begins, you're going to look around and find they're nowhere around. They don't care what happens to you in the end. They only want you going with them now. If sinners entice you, consent thou not, the Proverbs say. Be smart. Don't be stupid. Be smart. Don't destroy your life. Don't let your feet go where you can't handle it. The bottom line is, when God says don't open that door, put on the gospel sandals and boogie. I'm serious. Go to places where your faith will be built. I said, go to places where your faith will be built. What better place to be tonight than right here? Go to places where your faith is going to be built. Uh, um, Where you might share the gospel with somebody. Go through doors you know that God can say, Amen! Go! Otherwise, don't. Spend your time preparing yourself for usefulness in His kingdom. Proverbs advises, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about what you're doing. Think about who you're going with. Are they glorifying God? Do they love the Lord like you? Armor principle number three, the pathways you choose to walk down today are going to decide all your tomorrows. Watch the path of your feet. The fourth piece of armor is protection for what we do. Read it with me, would you? Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Isn't that a great one? Give the Lord a hand for that one. I love that. That's great. Now, here's what Paul had seen. He had seen the shields that Roman soldiers carried into war. The shields were made so that a wall of soldiers could lock shield to shield, forming a wall of impenetrable iron. He saw that. And he thought, shield of faith. That's what faith does. It creates a wall of impenetrable iron. Praise God. The shield was big enough to cover the soldier's entire body. Darts and arrows hurled at them fell harmless to the ground. Now, what is a fiery dart? The fiery darts that Paul mentions is artillery designed to appeal to one of three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, 1 John 2, 16. He doesn't have any new tricks, the devil. He used the same old bag of tricks over and over again, and they keep right on working. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Satan is a master psychologist. He has a whole arsenal of darts that can set the senses on fire. He knows how to appeal to appetites, the love of applause, the lure of ambition, the greed for money. He knows the buttons to push if you don't have the armor on. The devil's darts almost always come as a thought. You're driving down the road and, boom, a thought hits you. You know what I'm talking about. Boom, all of a sudden, this thing comes into your mind. And you start feeling awkward. Well, I shouldn't be thinking this way. Hey, has it occurred to you that you weren't thinking that way? 
that it was a fiery arrow? Why don't you pull over and gamble? Why don't you pull over and get some drugs? Why don't you pull over and get a drink? Why don't you go see that person? It can be a million things. But there it is. The battlefield of life is the mind. The whole warfare of life happens between your two ears. That's where it is. While we will never be out of range of Satan's fiery darts, they can be quenched. They can be quenched. That thought that all of a sudden it's a fiery dart. He fires it hoping that it will land in your mind and set a fire and burn and take you down. Depression, fear, doubt, lust, greed, addiction. There you are and suddenly here comes this dart. It was fired by the devil straight into your mind with a goal in mind. But what does he say? You can quench it. You can render it harmless. It'll fall like it hit an iron wall if you have on the shield of faith. And what is the shield of faith? It's a shield of determined, living, dynamic faith in God. Here's armor principle number four. Our faith in God should be so alive and active that we never question the circumstances in which we find ourselves the limitations he's placed on us, or his right to dictate the terms of our lives. It's when you say, I am so sick of the Father's house, like the prodigal did. I'm tired of the Father's house. I'm bored. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm going to go see what's in the world, the far country. The devil fires that dart into your mind. You say, I resent the Father's house and his restrictions on me. Watch out. The devil will get you to resent and kick against the, dic- uh, the terms of the fathers that the Father holds over our life. Now, because of our faith, we'll shrink from sin if we're walking in a shield of faith because sin offends him, grieves his heart, and inevitably brings into our lives the consequences that he says it will, guaranteed. Shield of faith. Everybody say it with me, a shield of faith. And where do you get faith? By reading the Word of God. You better read it every day. Read that word every day. Soak it up. Now, the fifth piece of armor is protection for what we know. Take the helmet of salvation, he said. What's a helmet? Soldiers wore the helmet because a blow to the head could be fatal. The head is the side of a person's intellectual powers, the part of man that separates him from the beasts. I'm going to tell you, our country right now has had its mind attacked because there was no armor, no helmet of salvation, Only a human being can think and express thoughts in an organized, verbal, and articulate way. No matter how hard they try to make the monkeys do it, they can't do it. Because we didn't come from a monkey. God gives us a helmet to protect our thoughts from satanic influence. As already stated, Satan usually goes after the mind. Paul told his friends at Corinth that the God of this world blinded the minds of those that don't believe, as we've already read. The helmet of salvation protects the Christian from Satan's deceptions denials and distortions here's armor principle number five without the helmet even the most brilliant person is open to the destructive influence of satan's rulers of darkness they will get your mind if you don't have on the helmet how do you put the helmet on by filling your mind with the word of god if i have a broken record or i've got a If there's something I repeat like a broken record constantly, and you know what it is, you need to be in that Word. How often are you in the Word? It can't be too much. 
Because what does the Word do? It corrects your thinking. What does the Word do? It pulls you back in. When the rulers of the darkness of this world are after your mind, because if they can get your mind, they can get your heart. If they get your heart, they got you. So you put on the Word of God every day. I open up the Word in some way or another every single day, and I always say, wow, that was powerful. Wow, that was powerful. That Word is powerful, y'all. He goes after the mind to influence your thoughts, then your words, and then finally your deeds. The more we wear the helmet of salvation, the more we will think about the things of God, and the more we will be protected from Satan's lures and lies. And finally, the sixth piece, and the last one, is for our success in the battle. Read it with me, would you? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You got your Bible? Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold up your Bible. You know what you got in your hand? You've got a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's the living, breathing, pulsating, life-giving, demon-busting Word of God. This is the Word of God. Now watch this. So far, every piece of armor the Holy Spirit has named has been for defense, not offense. Now he names the sword that enables us to attack the enemy. Napoleon once said, the best form of defense is attack. I like that. Here's armor principle number six in the last one. Neither the principalities, nor the powers, nor the rulers of the darkness, or spiritual wickedness in high places can withstand the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm telling you, that's the one thing that will chase them. That's the sword you've got in your hand to offensively go after Him. God's Word is like a sword. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, Hebrews says. It is living. It pulsates with the power of God. It's alive with God's authority. The best answer to every solitary attack of the enemy is the Word of God. When you come under temptation, open the Word of God. When you start having doubts, nothing wrong with doubting. Just open the Word of God for your answers. If you start having conflict, open the Word of God. If you're not feeling right, open the Word of God. If you're feeling gloomy, open the Word of God. If fear is striking you, open up the Word of God. If you're feeling depressed and blue and down, open up the Word of God. If you're starting to backslide, open up the Word of God. It's the Word of God. I don't want to be in a world without the Bible. It cuts through all the ranks, deceptions, and devices of hell. We are to use the sword of the Spirit when we face problems, circumstances, needs, and temptations. Open up that Word. In summary, let's stand together, can we? In summary, the whole armor of God provides defensive protection for, and read it out loud with me, would you? What we sow, what we show, where we go, what we do, what we know, and offensive weaponry for attacking our foe. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. Amen. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that though we have a foe, yet, Lord, we have within us the Holy Spirit of the living God. We have the precious blood to wash from all sin. We have grace operating in us. 
We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and two-thirds of the angels of heaven pulling for us. Lord, help us as a people to put on that armor that we would not undergo corruption in our lifestyle, in our thinking, in anything. That we will grow spiritually in wisdom and grace into the image of the Son of God. Now while our heads are bowed, I want you to pray and say, Lord, the armor of God is not something I just put on, but it's, it's a way I live. Help me to live this armor. In the name of Jesus. Worthy, worthy.